Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.22 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the last day of the first quarter of 2023. This is episode 600 and... The hell is it? I can't even keep track anymore. 695 of Bitcoin and what are BRC20 tokens? You didn't hear ERC20, did you? No, no, no. You heard B as in Bitcoin RC20 tokens. Yeah, we're going to get into that one. Miami Bitcoin got some stuff going on as a companion piece to what I just said. Yeah, we're, we're I'm just going to I'm just going to front load the show with the ordinal stuff. Okay, let's just get it out of the way <clears throat> because they're not going to go away. We are in this situation where like many people would just want altcoins to go away. They just want them to go away. I do too. I want them to go away, but I'm not fooling myself. They're not going away. I got a story down the line for later on in the show that we'll get to that talks about was degeneracy technology being introduced to trading. Oh my God. It's just, wow. We don't learn, apparently. You know, we we learned how to crawl down out of the trees and hunt food and start fires and, you know, build shelter and shit like that. But apparently somewhere along the way, the human species just said, you know what? I'm just done learning. <laughs> just, nope. Let's just make the same mistake over and over and over and over again. Now, just in case you hear some crashing in the background, or maybe somebody yells and screams their head off, my neighbors are moving out. The downstairs neighbors are moving out of the duplex. So I'm going to have to deal with that. But the show must go on, and the show starts, like I said, with this one. What are BRC20 tokens? This is written by thebitcoinmanual.com, Shay Kohler, or Chi, C-H-E. And I, I think it's Shay Kohler is how you pronounce that name. If I'm butchering it and you're listening, my apologies. But if ordinals and inscriptions weren't enough to get Bitcoin maximalists hot under the collar, then the latest use case for the Ordinals protocol is sure to trigger a few rage tweets simply by hearing the name alone. For the last few weeks, monkey and punk JPEG minting has taken up headlines and block space, but soon faded as these projects that are easy to reproduce ran out of initial demand and sellers and block space became easy to bid for once again. Those that claimed inscriptions to be speculative and that they would not hold up as a way to pay for additional minor security budget feel vindicated. But like a certain sickness we all had to deal with, it has mutated and the tech is being used to generate a faux ERC-20 token standard on Bitcoin called, you guessed it, BRC-20 tokens. So what 
BRC20 tokens. God, I, I'm almost afraid to ask. The BRC20 token standard is an experimental, fungible token created using ordinals and inscriptions and saved on the Bitcoin base chain. It utilizes ordinal inscriptions of JSON data to deploy token contracts, mint tokens, and transfer tokens. Oh, yay. <laughs> this is not a token standard like you're used to with EVM chains, which create smart contracts that manage the token standard and its various rules, but simply is a way to store a script file in Bitcoin and use that file as a way to attribute tokens to Satoshis and then allow them to move from one user to another. The BRC20 token was created by Twitter user at Domodata, D-O-M-O-D-A-T-A, on March the 8th. 2023, so way earlier this month. The name is a play on Ethereum's ERC-20 token standard, but they don't have the ability to interact with smart contracts like the EVM standard it deviates, or sorry, derivates its uh, name from. There is no shortage of ways to create tokens on other chains, all of which have their own markets and exchanges with liquidity where they can be traded. The token market is a vehicle for speculation and scams, and hearing this ERC-20 term might attract these users and this behavior might migrate to Bitcoin. And there go the dogs. I don't know if you can hear them. <laughs> While this may drive demand for Bitcoin to pay for fees and take up block space, it could pull unsuspecting investors into purchasing useless metadata that only selects wallets even bother to translate into anything worth displaying in a human-readable fashion. Even the creator has noted it's just an experiment and the tokens are not intended to be worth anything, though DGEN speculators may see it differently. BRC20 tokens are not the only thing used as a naming convention for tokens on Bitcoin, but also on another forked smart contract chain called BitGert BRC20. This iteration of BRC20 tokens should not be confused with the token standard created on another obscure forked chain, BitGert is another EVM chain that initially began life as a token on Binance Smart Chain, but thought that it would generate some excitement and investor capital if they were to create their own chain, which they control consensus and entice users with lower transaction fees on their centrally controlled chain. BitGert has the BRISE token as a native currency. Any tokens built on this chain are referred to as BRC20 tokens on its BRC20 blockchain just launched when the market least expected it. And honestly, I heard not anything about it. And you guys probably didn't either, but degeneracy is out there. So be very careful if you do venture down this path. But in the end, it doesn't really matter because either way, you're likely to be scammed out of your money with these meme tokens. The first BRC20 token, Ordi. The first token contract deployed was for the Ordi token with a limit of 1,000 tokens per mint and 21 million tokens total. Ordinal wallets such as Unisat were quick to deploy tooling for the BRC20 standard and in less than 18 hours, all 21 million Ordi tokens had been minted with pending mints for an additional 1.5 million Ordi tokens that were not within the limit. BRC20 might be an interesting experiment in what you can do with witness data and text files on chain, but creating a fungible token standard for Bitcoin with a bunch of flaws doesn't seem to be a practical long-term solution for any problems we have today or in the future. Still, 
that is not likely to stop the crypto market from throwing time, effort, and money at a very flawed implementation to see how far they can push it. Like it or not, we are likely to see a lot of tooling pop up to deploy, mint, send, and receive BRC20 tokens, which could mean another subset of transactions competing for precious block space and interrupting your ability to secure one sat per V-byte transactions to secure your cold storage funds or create a lightning channel. As the ordinal space continues to attract speculators and evolves, we're going to see developers push the limits of what can be done with the taproot transactions. Inscriptions and BRC20 are only the beginning, and while I think these are failed causes from the start, it doesn't mean someone cannot create profitable pump-and-dump projects for themselves in the very short term. Suppose you are serious about creating assets on Bitcoin, such as gaming items, vouchers, tickets, or stable coins backed by a centralized entity like a company, then there are already established standards to do that without bogging down the Bitcoin-based chain. AMP assets are the token standard for the Liquid Network. Users can spin up Liquid nodes and create their own assets like gaming currencies, in-game items, vouchers, etc. Or work directly with Blockstream, uh, Blockstream's asset issuer for building more complex products like tokenized debt, like the BMN or STOs. Once set up and regulatory approval has been covered, users can issue and manage assets on the Liquid Network securely from an intuitive platform in a single seamless experience. <coughs> Ooh, sorry. <coughs> That one surprised me. Taro is a new Taproot-powered protocol for issuing assets on the Bitcoin blockchain that can be transferred over the Lightning Network for instant, high-volume, low-fee transactions. An entity could run the code on their Lightning nodes to create these assets and manage the issuance of them, while Taro, the protocol, allows the asset to run this token asset standard with security and stability of the Bitcoin network and the speed, scalability, and low fees of Lightning. Now there's pair credit, and that's a P2P open protocol that allows anyone to issue centralized credit tokens without a blockchain using cutting-edge hypercore designs, which would be interoperable with Bitcoin as well as the Lightning Network. Then we have the RGB Network. It's a third-layer protocol and smart contract implementation that operates with the client-side validation. All the data is kept outside the Bitcoin transactions, such as Bitcoin blockchain or Lightning Channel states. It allows you to create your own tokens using their token standard called RGB20, which can move on Bitcoin and Lightning Rails as well. While the warnings have already been given, and the creator is already distancing themselves from the viability of the project, you can bet that all this will fail, fall on deaf ears and there are discords foaming at the mouth, thinking up ways on how this can make them some money. There's already an active community and builders like Unisat seem to be running with the BRC20 standard, even though the creator has pointed out repeatedly that it's just an experiment. It has issues and the tokens may not be worth a thing. This just goes to show you that tokens were never about the tech, but just a way to try and funnel money from the naive to those in cahoots at the base of token issuance operations. While the token standard and tooling can be improved to allow non-technical people to enter the space, these token standards are not Bitcoin, nor are they safer than tokens on other chains. Just because it's saved on Bitcoin does not mean it's going to save you or act as savings in the long term. 
BRC20 tokens are rug pull technology and rest assured, once the market is made for this Bitcoin saved metadata, you'll see people selling you overpriced JSON files for Bitcoin. If you want to learn more about BRC20 on Bitcoin, use this article as a jumping off point. Take the time to research other sources and you can start by checking out the resources below. And then he gives, uh, there is unisat.io, U-N-I-S-A-T.io and Gitbook, uh, which looks like it's domo-2.gitbook.io. Anyway, it's a link and you don't really, I'm sure that you're probably not going to go look at this, but maybe we should. Not because it's interesting, not because we want to buy, start doing this shit, but because it's it's always a good idea. If the enemy is going to give you their game plan, if they're just going to publish that, it's probably a good idea to read it, to figure out how they're going to try to hose everybody so that we can put one more quiver of arrows of defense into our little backpack so that we can maybe defend one person apiece. If I can stop one person from mortgaging their home four times to buy some stupid JSON file on Bitcoin, I'll do it. But man, I mean, honestly, the the degeneracy here is, well, here's what's happening. Altcoin world is getting shut down, okay? It doesn't mean that they're going to go away. It's just that it just doesn't make any sense anymore uh, to spin up your own altcoin. It's played out. That The marketing for that is dead. Nobody gives a shit anymore. So what do you do? You collapse and go underneath into the things that are going to stay around. And sadly, shitcoin number one is going to stay around and Dogecoin is going to stay around. They're already here. I don't, unless, unless you know, like a whole bunch of regulatory agencies get together and just crush the shit out of Ethereum. It's not going anywhere. So what do you do if you're an altcoiner and you don't care about anybody's wealth? You don't care about anybody else's security. You only give a shit about yourself because you're that much of a narcissist. What do you do? Where do you go? You go to BRC20 tokens and you, and, and, and you do all the things you, you, you go to ordinals. (coughs) This puts us all in a really weird situation. Should we hate the developers that experimented to figure this out? I do not believe we should. I I honestly don't believe we should. We need people testing the system. We need people figuring out where the holes in the dike are so that we can, I don't know, shove a rock into it, whatever it is that we got to do. You know, I, I'm, I'm not saying fork the chain. I'm just saying they're pointing out where things exist. And once they're pointed out, other people will glom onto it and then we'll get, be able to see what the effect of that thing they discovered really is. And then after a while of observing that, we'll find out or have at least a decent idea as to how much danger that thing that was uncovered represents. So no, I don't think anybody should be going to these people and saying, you screwed us, you know, you're a piece of crap. You don't do that because we need testers. Because if it's not people from Bitcoin figuring out how Bitcoin works, 
and pushing all the buttons and pulling all the levers and turning all the, the, the wheels, if it's not us, then it's going to be guess who? It's going to be people who really don't like Bitcoin doing it first. And those are the people that will not tell you where all the levers and wheels and buttons are. At least these guys are showing us where this crap exists. So I appreciate that. It's on the shoulders of those who would be degenerate to make the correct ethical and moral call and just say no. And this next one is a companion piece. And this kind of saddens me because I love Bitcoin Magazine. I really do. I, I, you know, and I love BTC Inc., which is the parent company. Um, and I love that Bitcoin Magazine pulled themselves up out of shit coinery years ago and became Bitcoin only. But this next one kind of makes me sad. Gamma.io, Xverse, and Bitcoin Magazine to host Ordinals Alley at Miami Bitcoin Conference. Yo, ho, ho, BTC Casey. Give it to us. Gamma.io, Xverse, and Bitcoin Mag are collaborating to launch an initiative aimed at highlighting the new medium of art setting on the longest running and most secure blockchain Bitcoin. The three companies will be showcasing emerging visual visual artists at BTC, or sorry, Bitcoin 2023's Ordinals Alley, which is the first ever fine art gallery for Bitcoin inscriptions presented at the world's largest gathering of Bitcoiners. The conference is taking place in Miami Beach, May 18th through the 20th. The gallery's curation is being co-led by Dennis Koch, art gallery director for Bitcoin Magazine, and Hugo Pouchard, art curator and advisor for Gamma and Xverse. Quote, Ordinal's protocol is a remarkable technology empowering artists and their works in the long run. The gallery will explore the evolving relationship between the art world, the medium, and the crypto community, said Pouchard. In addition, the press release highlights the artist open call, describing it as an opportunity for rising artists to showcase their work to a global audience. Six showcased artists will be selected by a curation committee consisting of members from Artblocks, 6529, Bright Moments, the Medici Collection, and others with experience in traditional art and auction houses. Gamma founder and CEO Jamil Dahani said that Gamma's focus from day one has been to empower creators with simple and powerful tools to launch their works on Bitcoin. Together with Xverse, we're bringing even more visibility and exposure to emerging artists from Web3 and those interested in Bitcoin for the first time. Those interested in attending the conference in Miami Beach can purchase tickets at b.tc forward slash conference. That's b.tc forward slash conference. All right. I don't even know where to start here because I do like Bitcoin Magazine. And you know what I also like? I like artists. Who am I? Who the hell am I to tell the artist that they're being degenerate? Because I just got finished saying, I just got finished saying, saying it, didn't I? I admit it. I just got finished saying that it's up to those who would be degenerate to just say no to this kind of shit. What if what if a really good artist uses this as a vehicle to become noticed and be able to live their life doing art because of ordinals and inscriptions, which clearly we all hate. I, I'm not a fan of ordinals. 
I'm not a fan of inscriptions. You know this. You've, if you've listened to the show more than four times, you probably know I'm not a fan of this whole thing. Yet, who the hell am I to tell anybody in the world what is degenerate, what is trading, what is art curation, what is art creation, and what is art itself? And so we go from degenerate trading all the way over to somebody who just wants to spend their life in, in creation. Holy shit. Well, now, now I got a problem. <laughs> now I'm, I'm, I'm literally holding two opposing ideas at the same time in my head. And we usually call that cognitive dissonance. And it's not healthy, right? But in this particular case, I, I, I don't know where to go. What do you guys think? I mean, instead of just sending me a boostagram, or you can, I mean, if you don't want to spend sats on a boostagram, I get it. Dude, you know, my my inpub uh, for Noster in both inpub format and hex format are in the show notes. They're in every single one now because I've put it in my boilerplate stuff, my template that I use to, to generate the show notes. It's there. Go find me on Noster and you can you can send me your thoughts. You can bitch at me. You can tell me how right I am. You can tell me how wrong I am about this ordinals and inscription stuff. I don't mind. I do not mind being wrong. And even if I'm not wrong or if I'm not right, it doesn't matter. It's my opinion that this is not good. But what happens if what happens if this thing works at Bitcoin Magazine, at Bitcoin 2023 in the Ordinals Alley? What does this look like? None of us know what this looks like in the in the future. Like let's say let's drag it out to the very end. Let's like it's 2250. The year is 2250. And we still don't have flying cars because that's never going to happen. We've been promised flying cars since the 1950s. And here we are with what? An ugly ass looking Tesla that's got a battery that explodes. That's what we got out of flying cars. But be that as it may, it's the year 2250. We ain't got no flying cars. And all of the Bitcoin has been minted and has been minted since 2140, right? So we're what? We're 90 years out from the last... Bitcoin actually being minted. That's technically not true, but I won't get into it. Just bear with me, okay? I don't want to get into logarithms and exponentials and shit like that and and math and whatnot. But the last Bitcoin has been minted. And now the blockchain is fully charged and held up by fee markets and whatnot. And that fee market may be including the, the transcriptions and ordinals and monkey picks on you know that are attached to certain satoshis what happens if all 2.1 quadrillion satoshis that have been exist in existence and are circulating except minus the minus the million bitcoin uh that never moves because satoshi is gone and whatever and those things are locked out and we nobody's moving them whatever can move imagine every single satoshi having an inscription at one point or another attached to it. And maybe the first thing out of your mouth is that means everything is, is non is, or is uh, non fungible. Everything is non fungible. My Satoshi that has this particular eight picture that I never attached to it, but I somehow or another got it is, you know, not the same, not the same value as this grand piece of art that somebody hand created uh, that's a sculpture of Bitcoin in 3D and it rotates on a pedestal and that and, and your Satoshi has that embedded in it. 
what if we just make the decision that that doesn't matter? We have color money right now in the United States. If you look at cash, it's the, it literally is the same colors and the same denominations as monopoly money. It's just not exactly all green or all red. But if you've seen pictures of modern money in the United States, paper bills, compare that. Actually, just go Google or whatever it is you want to do. Go Google monopoly money versus United States currency. I guarantee you, you will hit the picture that I'm talking about. And it's not a lie. This, is, this has actually happened. The 20 of monopoly money is the same color as the $20 bill United States fiat currency. Except the fiat currency got a lot more, you know, a lot more green in it or whatever. You know, it was just a shade. It's, it's really kind of sick when you think about it. But we have colored money as, as of today. Let's say that I got two different $5 bills. One has gone through the washing machine a hundred times and the other one is brand new. Is the shade of red or whatever that color is on that $5 bill, is it the same shade? No, it's not. Does that mean that it's different art? Technically, yes. Does that mean that the $5 bill is not worth the same as the other $5 bill? No, they're worth the same amount of money. And I think what happens when you look that far out, you know, a couple of hundred years from now, when every single Satoshi has a shade of color to it, no matter what that shade or color is, full-blown art, just a shade of red, a 3D model that spins on a pedestal, I just think of it all as a shade of art. Then if every single one is colored, I'm not sure how it becomes, how it's not fungible. And I think that's just a matter of perception, but I'm just saying, what happens if every single Satoshi has a piece of art attached to it? Because it doesn't look like these goofballs are going to stop. But again, who am I to say what's valuable to you? And I sure shit ain't got nothing to say about an artist who wants to create. I want people to be able to create. That's enough of that one. Uh, let's do this one. It's about Noster. You know how much I love Noster, right? So let's see what Tony Giorgio has to say about embracing Noster. My journey from skeptic to advocate. This is from his own blog, by the way. I used to despise Noster. To me, it was a complete hack attempting to call itself decentralized. It wasn't that I didn't believe it was decentralized. Instead, I would call it distributed. But I thought it was not architected in a way to hold up. And believing that it would ever gain any adoption or prove itself as resilient seemed nonsensical to me. I came from the decentralized identity world, or DID. To me, that was the solution that had even a slight chance of solving the problems it set out to address. My first Bitcoin job in 2018 involved a verifiable credential-like solution that anchored certificates to an individual's Bitcoin address and stored the Merkle root hash of multiple certificates onto Bitcoin's blockchain in a single transaction. The verifiable credential community was intertwined with the decentralized identity community, so that's where I got my start with these concepts. I have advised and worked at a few different DID-related companies since then, mainly because I understood it well and thought it was the soundest solution when anyone brought up technical problems they wanted to solve. 
It wasn't that I enjoyed working on it. In fact, I didn't even mention that it existed at one of my jobs until it was undeniable that it was the exact solution they were searching for. What are DIDs? Upon initial inspection, DIDs seem complex. The core specification is lengthy and a few supporting specifications accompany it. It took me a while to figure out, but conceptually, it's pretty straightforward. Ultimately, it's an object that references, that references an ID, multiple public key delegations, a list of supporting services the person understands and where they're located, as well as a signature. The devil is all in the technical specifications and recommendations for generating and parsing a DID, but it's not without reason. I know many talented minds have spent years weighing, on the, pro, uh, weighing the pros and cons of each and every decision. However, while I still believe DIDs are an excellent solution for identity, their technical complexity is also their downfall. This is combined with the spec writer's need for more product development skills. Some people are brilliant, but if you ask them if they'd rather spend their days arguing over spec decisions, compelling documentation, writing endlessly, or managing processes, they would choose that over building products or startups. It's no offense to them. People are just made differently. When you think of the crowd gathering around a solution, it's essential to consider who is in your company and who will build. That's not to say that I don't think DIDs will ever gain traction, perhaps eventually, but they need builders. There are far too many talkers. The best chance I see for DIDs gaining any use is if they come in to solve the problems Noster is terrible at and make it easy for developers and users. So change my mind about Noster. <coughs> Despite the technical aspects of Nostra that I didn't like, I was also a fan of social media. I got rid of my Twitter account in 2021 and was generally much happier. I had a little interest in using another one. It wasn't until recently that I eventually needed to communicate more broadly online. However, I was not returning to Twitter, which is currently crashing and burning in a massive dumpster fire. Nonetheless, Nostra can be more than just social media, and there are some exciting things I may need to use it for. For instance, what got me to open my mind to using Nostra in some way within Mutiny was for CoinJoin forward slash PayJoin related activity. Something Ben Carmen revealed to me a few months back. Anonymizing services must know the least information about the participants, including their IP addresses. And when Tor is not possible, one way to accomplish something like that is by publishing messages intended for a service to relays, almost like a VPN. Services can now only see a pub key, which can be a one-time use, and the message contents. No IP information is leaked to the service as long as they are not operating a relay that the user communicates with. This is great for privacy. A recent Bitcoin Magazine article by Lola of L0LA summarizes some of that. After I was open to the idea of it, one of our initial proofs of concept for Noster was within the Mutiny wallet waitlist, which works by allowing someone to sign up via email address or Noster pub key. After they sign in with their pub key, we send them an encrypted DM informing them that they are on the list. Another excellent win for privacy since this can be any random pub key and it's much easier to obtain than another email address. It was also way easier to integrate than email address sending. 
We spent a good week going back and forth with our email provider trying to troubleshoot why emails were not being sent. But in a few hours, Ben got auto DMs working on Noster. That core tech for the waitlist got us interested in building Blaster. This serverless relay proxy blasts out your messages to most other relays. We currently get about 25,000 events per day that we blast out to 300 other relays. Another win for privacy, since not all those relays have to tie your pub key slash event information to your IP address. At this moment, I begin to, began to realize the potential of what Noster is excellent at when I look at it in this light. Broadcasting. As an identity system, it is lacking. For getting a message out there into the world where only one shared relay needs to see it for it to be helpful to the recipient, it has done a fantastic job. Hopefully, the availability of free relays persists enough for it to be beneficial here. The biggest thing Noster has going for it is a community not just of users using it as social media, but for developers as well. Noster is incredibly simple to develop on and can be incremental as a developer builds more advanced features. This goes back to surrounding yourself with good company. Easy solutions attract developers, which bring better products and therefore more users, some of which will be more developers. The cycle repeats. As more developers come in, the technical problems I have with Noster start to get fixed and many already have. That's not to say that all will, but it's not to say that there won't be more problems down the line because there will be. But this playground and early adoption of a community are hopeful for the future of Noster. I watch from afar, but the Noster conference in Costa Rica was a beautiful and timely event to help solidify the community even more. I think Noster has a great chance of becoming useful now and in the medium term. However, on a long enough timeline, it will grow into a similar solution as the early internet had become. Signing a message with a private key is not a new idea and it has been done for decades in a standard form that few of us know and use today, and it's called PGP. How many people actually do this? Incredibly few. How many people maintain lists of PGP keys that they trust, SSL certificates that they trust, or DNS providers that they trust? How many people got pushed out of their self-hosted email because of the complexities and censorship added to SMTP? The idea that Nostra survives this while being built on top of the same cancerous system that has centralized the internet is still a joke. However, I'll learn to enjoy it and take advantage of it while I can. Maybe we can make some iterative progress in making the internet itself a bit more decentralized. Doubtful. I believe it'll look like it does today on a long enough timeline. The web of trust model does not scale, and I have little faith in the decentralization of the internet in the long term. You're talking about Dunbar's number, I think. I, I might say something about that here in a sec. Final thoughts. If anything, take advantage of the data interoperability and free relays while you can. Enjoy the lack of censorship with the great community it has built up so far. In the end... Noster may not be the perfect solution for every problem, but its strengths in broadcasting and its passionate community make it a valuable tool for promoting privacy and decentralization online. Embrace Noster for what it does well and work to improve its limitations, fostering a sense of collaboration and progress within the community. Nice. 
and he gives his NPUB here. This is TonyGiorgio.com. That's Tony, G-I-O-R-G-I-O.com. And it's actually forward slash Noster if you want to go right to it. But I'm going to put the link in the show notes uh, because I can. Uh, that's a great piece. Yes, Noster has issues. It really does. There's some major problems with it. I think that most of them will, will, will get fixed if we're patient and stop belly aching and, and God forbid, uh, bitching at JB 55. I remember there was a tweet uh, a few weeks back that was just lambasting JB 55 for like some problem this user was having. And I was like, I can't believe you just did that. The guy got fired from his job for developing Noster and he got fired like two days after he was on rabbit hole recap or no, no, he was on a, uh, TFTC and he was talking to Marty Ben about it. And two days later, I saw, uh, I think it was, it was just before, I want to say it was just before Christmas. He got fired from his Normieville job. All income gone, uh, health insurance gone. Thankfully, Jack stepped up and, and I think is floating this guy for a little while until he can figure out what, you know, figure out what to do. But this guy comes along and he just, rips JB55 a brand new one and I can't even remember what the bitch fest was about but I do remember JB55 uh Kassarin, I think is his name uh was really sad about it he was really verbally upset is what it seemed like to me maybe maybe he really wasn't I I hope he wasn't but it seemed to me that it really got to him cuz he lost his job he lost his income his health insurance he he gave it all up to develop Domus for Noster so you're dealing with two different things. You're dealing with limitations that are at the protocol level of Noster. You're also dealing with the limitations of a single guy deciding to make a client for something that is a protocol that is yet to be finished. How scary is that shit? Say you're working for IBM, if that thing even still exists in any kind of format of software development. But let's say you're working for some kind of like mainstream software developer and they give you a project and they say, we need you to build a front end client for this protocol. And by the way, this protocol is far from finished. I'm not a software developer, but I get the feeling that that would scare the piss out of me if they expect some kind of like solid ass result. Don't go bitching at the developers of Noster and the developers of the clients. Please, I implore you. If you're going to, if you find something that you don't like and you can't fix it because you yourself are not an, a software engineer or developer or anything like that, then simply let them know and say, hey, this is what it looks like to me. Because maybe they don't see it through your eyes, but handing them a steaming pile of burning crap is probably not the way to make friends and influence people. I mean, I'm just saying, right? Um, now, that... He says this, Tony says this, um, however, I'll learn to enjoy it and take an advantage of it while I can. Maybe we can make some iterative progress in making the internet a bit more decentralized. Doubtful. All I believe it'll look like it does today on a long enough timeline. The web of trust model does not scale. And I have little faith in the decentralization of the internet in the long term. It's that one phrase. The web of trust model does not scale. That is specifically Dunbar's number. If you, if you didn't hear yesterday's show, I talked about it 
I'm not saying go back and listen to yesterday's show, although it would help with my numbers. I'm currently number 11 on Fountain's, uh, Fountain's uh, charting. I'd like to be back up in the number 10 spot. That's where you come in with some boostograms, but be that as it may. I talked about Dunbar's number yesterday. It's a limited, it's a, a lo, very low number, you know, 100, 120, 150, that represents the amount of people that you know well enough that you can trust them. You know their wife's name, you know their name, you may know their middle name, maybe not, but you know where they live, you know what they do, you know whether you can trust them or not. This is the limit of Dunbar's number, the amount of people and the information and the quality of the relationship that you can have with the, a number of people it has a terminal limit. And that terminal limit is Dunbar's number. That's about 120, 157. I've heard different numbers for it. It's not many, but that's your web of trust. Now, that doesn't scale. And that's why we have money. That's the whole reason we have money is because of Dunbar's number. <coughs> It's amazing that that simple notion, Dunbar's number, caused to come in creation, into creation the concept of money and therefore monetary economics. Amazing. Internet does not escape Dunbar's number. I'm just saying that as an aside, but that's what he's talking about when he says the web of trust model does not scale. And we need something like digital identifiers. Personally, I love using pub keys. You know what else I like using? I like using a signed message from my Lightning node to Stacker News as my login. <laughs> it's amazing, man. It's just absolutely amazing to do it that way. I wish every login that I had is like either the same pub key, which is probably it's not the best idea in the world. Or, you know, I've got a multiple set of, of, of pub keys or better yet, multi-sig keys. And I can change the identity of like, depending on what I'm logging into, I can change my identity by instead of like, let's say I got a two of five, right? Two of five. Any of, those, any of those five, as long as I got two of them, I can log in. And I got pub key numbers one through five. I use numbers one and two, and I get into Noster. If I use numbers one and three, that's my login for Stacker News. You see where I'm going with this? So I can still have an, a whole shit ton of identities on a two of five multi-sign-in uh, architecture. I would love that. If somebody can figure out how to do that shit, man, dude, let me know. I will, I will embrace that shit and, and, and shill it to the edges of the earth. Uh, let's do this one, this Fold one. We got Bitcoin Magazine here. Fold announces exclusive global partnership with Visa. That's right. Fold. Fold. Fold app. Fold card. You know the guys at Fold? Good Bitcoin company. And now they're going to be working with Visa. Yeah, Visa sucks, but the fact that they're just infecting everything is great. Fold, oh, by the way, this is written by BTC Casey. Fold, <coughs> a bit war, Bitcoin rewards company, has announced that it will collaborate with Visa, which will become the exclusive global network partner for Fold's prepaid debit cards or products. Let's do it again to make sure. Visa, 
which will become the exclusive global network partner for Fold's prepaid debit products in North America, Europe, and Latin American countries. The move aims to expand the reach of the first Visa co-branded Bitcoin rewards debit card launched in the spring of 2020 to more Fold users worldwide. It's already here, but now they're expanding, I guess. The announcement comes as nearly $1 billion in transactions have gone through Fold since the launch of the Fold Visa debit card, and users have been rewarded over $300 million in Bitcoin since the launch of the app. Fold CEO Will Reeves said, quote, in order to meet the growing demand for Bitcoin on-ramps outside of the United States, we're thrilled to expand our engagement with Visa. We believe that Bitcoin can be a powerful tool for all people all over the world to take control over their own finances, and we are committed to making Bitcoin as easy and accessible as possible for everyone. Kui Sheffield, Sheffield, head of crypto at Visa, commented, quote, we believe that digital currencies will play a role in the future of financial services and money movement. We're excited to work with Fold to create new ways for consumers to spend and engage with digital assets. I think they just pissed Elizabeth Warren straight off. The new engagement with Visa will allow Fold to expand the existing Fold Bitcoin rewards debit card globally and empowering existing local financial service companies to launch their Bitcoin rewards and financial products via Fold's embedded Bitcoin rewards and payment infrastructure. Fold has lined up several traditional banks, fintechs, and consumer rewards programs in North America to leverage the new embedded Bitcoin financial infrastructure and is looking for global partners to onboard in 2023. Global users are encouraged to sign up for the early global access waitlist on the Fold website. Overall, the collaboration with Visa marks a significant milestone as Fold or fourfold as it seeks to expand its user base globally and empower users worldwide to take control of their finances using Bitcoin. The partnership will allow for new ways uh, for consumers to spend and engage with Bitcoin. Okay, I have Fold, and here's the reason that I stopped using it. It's a two-step process for me. Unless things have changed, I cannot have a Fold branded Visa debit card directly attached to my checking account. So therefore, I have to do an ACH transfer from my bank to Fold so that it goes onto my Fold debit card and then I can spend it. Now, that's, I know, I get it. You're just lazy. I hear you. I, dude, I understand. But it, honestly, I'm like, for fuck's sake, really? It's, you know, I mean, I was waiting. I kept waiting. I kept waiting. I kept waiting. I'm like, well, Will will do this. There will be a way. In my fold card, I'll be able to take it to my bank and I'll be able to say, can you please attach this directly to my checking account? And they'll say, sure, we've got a deal with Visa and we understand that deal with Fold. Gotcha. So now that becomes my debit card. But no, unless things have changed that I'm unaware of and I read the news every single day, as you well know, that's why you're here. I haven't heard anything about that. So as far as I'm concerned, I would still have to go get all the money that I'm going to spend for the month and do an ACH transfer from my bank over to Fold. And I and, and, and honestly, I can't be bothered because why? It's not because I'm lazy. I want to make sure that everybody realizes that that is a, is a user experience that you do not want. In the long run, in the long term, 
And sure, banks may just completely crumble. I don't know. That's not, I'm not talking about that right now. I'm just saying the banks as they are right now, let's say all the fires were put out and it was back five years ago and everything was fine, right? Well, everything wasn't fine, but we thought everything was fine and everything was great. Banks weren't insolvent. FDI, we didn't know anything about $19 trillion in deposits in the United States banks and only like $250 billion in FDIC insurance to cover all the deposits. But sure, I'm, I'm insured up to $250,000. <laughs> let's, let's say we're back there. Then, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I guess... But again, that the user experience is all that matters here. Even back then, specifically back then, if you really wanted people, if you want to hook people into this, you do have to make it easy. And I talk all the time about, come on, stop giving these people shit, learn how to use it. But when we've gone like a length of time and shit hasn't changed, for something as simple as just saying, working out a deal with between Fold and Visa and Fold going to Visa saying, look, we need to do this. You guys have Visa branded debit cards that you run through Wells Fargo. You need to activate the Fold version of your Visa card to be able to do the same so that I can debit directly out of my checking account and I don't have a two-step process. Because any friction at all in a user experience means what? You have less users to experience your product. It's that simple. I don't make the rules. I just follow them. Let's run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities. And on the right-hand side, on the right-hand side is live. Senator Warren on bank risks and threat to the economy. She's talking, I guess she's talking or somebody else is talking uh, to like the CNBC crew live on television about that, but it's what's right below. It's what's right below that. Number one trending now news article is this. A 67 year old American shares what retirement is really like with no work and all that free time. The very first thing that popped into my head was, you know what? You're going to be bored in retirement. You should probably work until you die. Now, I don't know if that's what the article says, and I'm not going to read it because I don't give a shit, but I just found it amazing that you got France that's all in a tizzy, a, a, a physically violent tizzy, or was. I don't know where, where they are today, but because you know mainstream media doesn't want to talk about anything over in France as to the fact that they are pissed off with their government. They're in a tizzy because they raised like the retirement age from 62 to 64. I think we're going to see that come over here. I think this particular news story that talks about what it's really like to retire with all that time and no work. I think, I think they're prepping the ground. I think they're plowing the field so that they can sow their seeds that turn into the idea in your mind that it's, better to work until you die. It just is. Now, sad, don't worry about it. The fact, I mean, if that made you depressed, why did you get depressed on that? Think about that. How, how is it that, how is it that you're still attached to what these people actually say? Have we learned nothing? It doesn't depress me. It just shows me 
the enemy chatter. Now, oil, West Texas Intermediate, up a buck and a half. No, actually, a point and a half percentage points. $75.50 a barrel. Brent North Sea up 0.62%, $79.76. Natural gas doing its thing. A 4.37% spike sends it up to $2.19 per thousand cubic feet, but it's still low in my opinion. Uh, Gasoline is up 2.2% to $2.72. Gold down scant. It's hanging just under $2,000 an ounce, $1,994.20. Silver's up almost a full point. Platinum is up two-thirds of a point. Copper is unchanged, and palladium is up a quarter of a point. Ag, we got the biggest winner today being soybeans, 2.22% to the upside, followed by sugar, 1.5% to the upside. Biggest loser today is going to be cotton. Yeah, cotton. 0.74% 0.74% to the downside. <coughs> Excuse moi. Now we're to indices. Apparently good news is around. I don't know why. Maybe it's because Trump got indicted. I don't know. But Dow is up 0.83%. S&P is up 0.8%. NASDAQ is up just over one point, And the S&P mini is up a point and a half. Ladies and gentlemen, we're saved. The markets have spoken. Everything's okay. Bullshit. Just say. Now, real money is at $28,413. That's after close to half a million Bitcoin have changed hand. Half a million. Yeah, half a million Bitcoin have changed hands in the past 24 hours. Uh, average transaction value is 1.4 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.012 BTC or about 340 bucks. Block times are low. Nine minutes and 36 seconds. 0.17 BTC coming in fees on a per block basis. BTC in fees over the last 24-hour period. And with a 2.69% jump in hash rate, we are at 357.37 exahashes per second. Now, Doge, your shitcoin indicator, is also gaining a little bit of traction. 7.6 United States pennies. Remember when it was 74 cents per Doge? (laughs) Uh, the degeneracy. Now, let's get into Clark Moody's dashboard. $550 billion is the current market cap of Bitcoin, which is 4.14% of gold's entire market cap. We may now purchase 14.3 ounces of shiny metal rock with our one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,333,236.96 of. You know, that's almost like a good numerology number for some reason. Whatever, but 5,388, 5,388.3 of those are locked in the Lightning Network, valued at $153.1 million, uh, running across 16,380 nodes, sporting 74,926 payment channels, 67.5% of all of it's being run over Tor, and I'm no longer using Clark Moody's dashboard to talk about transaction numbers or blocks to clear. So I'll skip that and go to the 2% estimated difficulty change to the upside. It's a positive adjustment expected on April the 6th, 2023. Mempool.space, that's mempool.space is showing 121 blocks in most mempools, I guess, and 30,641 transactions plus one, two, three, four, five, six, 
uh, six blocks that each contain several thousand transactions themselves. So probably a good 40,000 transactions. And anything below 2.01 Satoshis per VByte is being purged from uh, default mempools. 27 sats per VByte is the lowest priority you can get. 35 sats per VByte is the highest priority, which means you'll probably be included in the very next block, but it's gonna cost you a buck 39 to be able to do it. That's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. And the United States government just launched a new path of stupid. Turner Wright, Cointelegraph, United States government plans to sell 41,000 Bitcoin connected to Silk Road. You might want to save that, pal. Whatever. United States government plans to liquidate more than 41,000 Bitcoin seized as part of the case against Silk Road creator Ross Ulbricht. A March 31st filing with the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York, of course, regarding the case against James Zong, said U.S. government authorities had begun liquidating roughly 51,352 Bitcoin seized in the old bricked case. And I'm buying some of those today. I'm buying some of those coin today. Nice. Thank you. According to the filing, officials sold roughly 9,861 BTC for more than $215 million on March the 14th, leaving the remainder. Quote, the government understands the Bitcoin is expected to be liquidated in four more batches over the course of this calendar year, said the court filing. So there you go. Instead of saving it, I mean, you know, in, instead of putting it in a lockbox, they're, they're selling it. This makes no strategic sense whatsoever, even beyond the economic model. <clears throat> if they sent them to a burn address, think about that. Or if they just put them in cold storage and never spent them whatsoever, they, they, they would still have a claim on 41,000 of 21 million. And after that, that's it. There's no more. And what are they going to do? They're going to sell it into the public. Is it possible? Is it possible that they've got that somehow or another, they've got this wallet address. They know, they don't need to know anything that came before. They know these coins exist in these wallet addresses. All right, they, they have a start point to be able to track because we know that Bitcoin is not all that private unless you go through, jump through a lot of hoops and that's okay. That means that it's open architecture. It means that if you want to be private, you can be private. You got to learn how to do it. If you don't give a shit, you can just go get your, buy your coins from Coinbase and do whatever it is you want with them without, you know, like you can use a single address. You can do whatever you want because there's no rules. I can't tell you what to do or what you have to do because, you know, screw you, dude. You don't know. You can't stop me from doing anything. But I can tell you this, if we can practice privacy, we should, because these assholes are going to do what? They're going to track every single transaction from the origin of these wallets to the end of their days. That's what's going to happen with these coins. And some of them I'm going to have, which I'm going to drop directly into its own wallet address. It's not getting commingled with anything else. And that may just be when I start learning how to coin join. Maybe that, maybe it's time for me 
to start figuring out CoinJoin now that it's much simpler to use than it was. I normally don't spend Bitcoin, I just buy Bitcoin, but at one point or another, nah, CoinJoin is in the future. And this one, I may go ahead and get some of these coins and then immediately put them into the CoinJoin mixer. Be nice to be nice to find out exactly what what address these coins are emanating from so that I can verify that I have literally some of the Silk Road tokens that they're selling to, or some of the Silk Road Bitcoin that they're selling today, like the idiots that they are. I highly recommend the U.S. government stop doing that, but I'm just a plebe. Nobody gives a shit what I say. Decrypt.co has something of their own to say about addresses. Nivesh Rustgi has this one. Address poisoning. Attack sees scammer make off with $1.3 million in ARB tokens. <laughs> We're talking about Arboretum. Oh, Jesus. Initially reported as a lucky Arboretum airdrop recipient, one crypto address appears to have actually scammed out over 600 different crypto wallets for more than 930,000 ARB tokens. Blockchain intelligence firm Arkham confined or confirmed with Decrypt that they too have identified that the address belongs to a hacker who is sweeping funds from Arboretum users. <laughs> Rug pull. A close look at the specific addresses transactions reveals that it received 933,635 ARB tokens from a different Arboretum address on March the 24th, the day after the Layer 2 Network's highly anticipated airdrop. Yay! ARB is the native governance token behind a shit, shit chain, shitty Layer 2, shit scaling, shit solution for shitcoin number one called Arboretum. The source of those tokens is another contract whose creator is tagged as Fake Phishing 18 on Arboretum's Blockchain Explorer. Independent on-chain researcher OX Knight also confirmed that he found victim reports of the hack. Users complained that their ARB tokens had been auto-claimed to the hacker's wallets. Uh, shitcoin number one smart contract developer Brainsy signaled the malicious contract created by Fake Phishing 18 on March 24th as well. They said that interacting with the contract creates an additional transaction request that appears as if it's from the sender's wallet, but instead is a phishing attack. Fitting fake fish, fake fishing 18. MetaMask has warned against this sort of attack and termed it address poisoning. It is an attempt where attackers poison the address list of users' wallets by sending arbitrary transactions from addresses that closely resemble those with which the user has already interacted. In this case, the attacker appears to have used both a phishing attack through a malicious smart contract and address poison, poisoning with Brainsy indicating that it makes the transaction look like it's from the user's wallet. The fake phishing 18 tag is also associated with another address called fake phishing 47, which deployed a fake ARB token contract on March the 21st. The image below shows that fake phishing 18 tagged account created the contract for the fake ARB tokens and then transferred ownership over to fake phishing 47. <clears throat> the same entity may have created a fake Arboretum claiming site that if users interacted with that site, it would give the hacker control over their users over the users' wallets. For instance, there was at least one identical web page to the Arboretum Foundation's claim or the Arboretum Foundation's claim website circulating in some social media groups on the day of the airdrop. The fake website claimed ARB tokens on the user's behalf and transferred them to their wallets. The only subtle difference between them 
and and that the of the original website was a countdown for when the claiming process will end. You got rugged. Actually, it's not even a rug pull at this point. It's just straight up theft. And that theft, if you didn't understand what was going on, Ethereum as the mother asshole from which all shit coinery emanates is so confusing, has so much plumbing and wiring that it's a game theorist's best wet dream ever. There's so many buttons and levers and crap to push and it works on the social level, it works on smart contract level. You can you can you can use both of them in in some kind of mix like you're baking a cake. And there's no end to it. There's no end to it. There's no proof of stake or proof of work in Ethereum's future that will that will allow this to end. It's never going to end. If you're interacting with anything Ethereum, you're going to lose your money. I'm just saying, let the degeneracy die. Oh, it's, oh, it's degeneracy. I can't believe it because we're coming into this one. This is what I was telling you about at the head of the show. Degeneracy and trading coming to you from Savannah Fortis, Cointelegraph, OKX. Launches artificial intelligence integration to monitor market volatility. Yay, you know where this is going. After the latest update of the infamous artificial intelligence chatbot, ChatGBT4, the technology has been a buzzword inside and outside the crypto industry. While opinions on the technology may be mixed, companies continue to integrate AI to enhance their user experience. On March the 31st, that's today, the cryptocurrency exchange and Web3 technology company OKX announced that it will be launching a new integration from Indotech.io which utilizes AI algorithms to capture market volatility, specifically crypto market volatility. Coming to you. The algorithms incorporate both machine learning and other advanced techniques in an effort to conduct real-time analyses of data and trading opportunities. Yay! According to Dmitry Gustin, Chief Operating Officer at Endotech.io, understanding market volatility is essential for successful trading in the crypto space. Oh my God! Oh, uh, yeah. Nothing helps you. No, nothing's gonna help you. Just, just, just another method of getting your ass poor. Okay, X also jumped on the AI bandwagon on March the 30th when it posted an AI-generated poem from ChatGPT4 about the company's wallet. I'm not gonna read it because it's stupid. This new platform update comes only a few days after the company announced its intention to expand its services to Australia while beginning to shut down its former operations in Canada. AI is finding various use cases in the crypto industry, not just for identifying real-time market volatility. It's also used to track blockchain transactions, deploy autonomous economic agents for trading, and more. In everyday life, it's now used for personal assistance like tasks, social media, and customer service needs, among other use cases. While some have a more positive outlook on the impact of AI technology in scenarios like the metaverse, a letter recently emerged signed by 2,600 researchers and leaders in fintech calling for a pause in AI development. The primary concern uh, the collective of industry professionals voiced was that, quote, human competitive intelligence can pose profound risks to society and humanity 
among others. Yeah, well, you know, freaking deploying it as a goddamn trading tool on a shitcoin exchange like OKX is probably not good for humanity. It is certainly not going to help those people that are already underwater on their decision to take a third mortgage out on their young family's home so that they could trade in dog coins. And this is just pouring fuel on the fire because now it's like, well, look, now I don't have to watch it as hard. I'll let AI do market volatility and it will give me an indicator as to when to buy the top and sell the bottom. <laughs> you see, it's just who's not going to arb that? The actual technology, like the developers of the people that do the algorithms going, hey, let's, let's actually suggest that they buy the top and sell the bottom. Meanwhile, we'll do the exact opposite. How do you, you can't tell me that that might not happen because it damn well can happen. And knowing this crew of miscreants and degens, it's absolutely going to happen. Even if it's not OKX, let's say that they are, have some modicum of, of being ethical and, you know, being moral left in their, in their wallets. Some other exchange is going to use the exact same technology, except they are going to use it to fool you into believing that this is when you should buy and this is when you should sell whatever shit coin X. And they're going to be on the opposite side of that trade. And like a gambling house or a casino in Vegas, the house always wins. When was the last time you saw a casino go bankrupt because they gave out too many winnings? If they went bankrupt, it's because they had a bad business model on the other end, but it had nothing at all to do with the casino itself. I guarantee you that the only thing in these hotels in Vegas that actually is cash flow positive is the casino because it's rigged in their favor. And the same thing's going to happen here, only now they don't even have to work at it, do they? No, they'll just launch an AI chatbot and tell you, buy now. It's a good day to buy Doge. Meanwhile, they're selling you that Doge. And when the shit goes upside down on your ass, guess who's going to be selling Doge at the highest price? It's just... Don't get involved in trading at all. If you have to, if you can't control yourself, stay away from anything that remotely resembles an AI-generated algorithm for market volatility or any other tool because it's going to be rigged against you. At one point, you're going to run into degenerates that are even more degenerate than you. And you're going to be on the losing side of the trade. And you're going to think it's all okay because it was AI. Don't do that. CBDC can be a bridging asset <clears throat> between Bitcoin and traditional finance, according to the Bank of England, this is written by Stephen Graves and Andrew Asmakov for Decrypt.co. Can CBDCs and Bitcoin ever coexist? The Bank of England CBDC lead Katie Fortune thinks so. I love these names. Katie Fortune asked during a panel at the City Digital Money Symposium about how potential state-issued central bank digital currencies could coexist with Bitcoin and asset-backed stablecoins, Fortune said that the Bank of England sees a mixed ecosystem of different forms of money, somewhat similar to what is there today with different mechanics for bank deposits and cash. 
Sorry about that. Spam risk. Shut up. Um, CBDCs are current are digital currencies issued by a country's central bank. Yes, we understand that. Quote, what you have today is I have a Santander account. I can go to a cash machine and take out the same cash my friend with a Barclays account takes out, said Fortune. Comparing the current financial system with what could be via the introduction of slave coin. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, CBDCs. Quote, I think that could be really powerful in a world of stable coins and other digital forms of money to have a central bank digital currency that can be a bridging asset between all these different forms of money, she said. Pausing just to say that right there is all you really need to know about this story. They have to insert themselves into this ecosystem. So they're billing it as a bridging technology now. Because if they don't, they're all going to go away and lose their jobs. Fortune argued that a bridge asset like this, it could also ensure that you don't end up with sort of separate ecosystems and help set standards, which in turn would help boost innovation. You're talking about regs, dude. Quote, actually, you see it in all sorts of industries. If you can start with a set of standards, that allows plenty of private innovation that can be inter, that, that can then interoperate with each other. And I think that that's a big potential for stablecoins and CBDCs to have the next economy. Money should be the same as when I go to turn the light switch on. I don't think about electricity, but the fact we're all receiving the same electricity matters a lot. End quote. Jesus Christ, this woman is absolutely, she's dangerous. I'll tell you why later. The BOE exec insists that this uniformity is just a social good and not sort of a government control issue, suggesting that it's similar to the services and infrastructures that authorities already provide that allow others to do what they need to do and to innovate for the future. In recent months, the UK Central Bank has been pushing the idea of a digital pound. Go pound sand with digital pound. Sometimes also called Britcoin, with some estimates projecting it could be in use by the end of the 2020s. This would certainly require practical use cases for CBDCs, and Fortune believes the main focus should be on retail payments and e-commerce. Quote, the internet wasn't around when some of these processes started. Shops weren't accepting digital payments. Some of them are quite clunky when you look under the hood, said Fortune. The focus, she added, should be on having the infrastructure that allows people to build smoother processes. Quote, once they've built smooth processes, I have no doubt they will start delivering things that we don't even know we needed. This woman is dangerous. And it's not just that it's this woman. It's all of these people that are doing everything that they can to be the bridging technology. There's only one thing that you need to worry about. Buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin. Later on, we're going to start just um, paycheck. Do you, do you pay in Bitcoin? Nope. I'm going to go look for somebody who does. And you'll be able to command that. If not in my lifetime, certainly in the lifetimes of my children. But honestly, I think it's going to happen well within my lifetime. Where I will literally just say, oh yeah, uh, yeah, I'd like to work for you. Because, you know, I'm 75 and I got a lot of time on my hands and I just really want to work till I die. Because retirement, I was told, sucks. And then they say, well, yeah, we'll give you a paycheck. And it's, well, do you pay me in Bitcoin? Uh, no, we pay you in CBDCs. Bye. Oh, excuse me, sir. Bye. Well, don't, 
Aren't you in retirement? And aren't you close to death and need need a job to get your government burial? Bye. Told my wife to cremate me on top of a hill in Colorado in a bonfire, in a Viking boat. You know, I don't need you. Bye. You'll be able to do that. I think well within our lifetimes, unless you're like 96 year, years old right now, you know, which no offense, but I mean, 96, dude, good run. Just saying, well within my lifetime, I do believe that that will actually be part of the negotiation process. Do you pay in Bitcoin? If not, will you consider it? And if so, when can I start getting paid in it? Because I'm not going to accept the job unless you pay me in Bitcoin and that's that. Otherwise, I walk. Don't care. Last one up for today is how a TikTok ban in the United States could affect the crypto industry. Uh, Ezra Reguera, Cointelegraph. On March the 23rd, the world watched in horror as the United States lawmakers questioned TikTok CEO Shu Chu at a House Energy and Commerce Committee hearing in Washington, D.C. In the hearing, lawmakers grilled the CEO over suspicions that the Chinese government is gathering user data through the app. The intensity of the exchanges went viral online, with many believing that a ban exemplified in the restricting the emergence of security threats that risk information and communications technology, or Restrict Act, recently introduced in the United States may be imminent. While the platform is not a crypto-native app, it's used by many crypto community members to access crypto-related content. This means a ban on TikTok may have several implications for the crypto space. U.S.-based think tank Coin Center believes that the Restrict Act has a similar precept to the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, which allowed the Treasury's Office of Foreign Asset Control, or OFAC, to prohibit United States citizens from transacting with sanctioned entities. According to Coin Center, the potential effects on the crypto space cannot be ignored as the bill creates blanket authority with few checks to ban just about anything linked to a foreign adversary. Austin Federa, the head of strategy at Solana Foundation, said that the current rhetoric should worry United States citizens. You damn well should. Bitcoin YouTuber Crypty Wendy O also thinks that the bill is not about TikTok, but about going after the crypto space itself. Yes, your Bitcoin, crypto, and NFTs. Banning them is the goal, she wrote on Twitter. While some are concerned about the act being used to ban crypto directly, those working to spread the word about various crypto projects also express concern over a potential ban on the social media platform. While TikTok was initially dominated by teenagers mimicking trending dances, the content within the app quickly branched out to various niches, including crypto. One of the earliest notable crossovers between crypto and TikTok can be traced back to 2020. At the time, the app was used to pump the prices of Dogecoin through a viral TikTok pumping challenge. Since then, TikTok has been a go-to platform for crypto projects who want to build their communities. The platform has been bombarded with crypto-related content from exchanges like Binance and Coinbase to influencers sharing their thoughts on tokens and blockchain projects. At the time of writing, the hashtags crypto and cryptocurrency have a combined view count of 34.7 billion. Oh my God. Roland Guerdon, who has worked on social media as a social media community manager for various crypto startups, believes that TikTok is building communities for crypto. He told Cointelegraph, quote, 
TikTok is one of the most powerful marketing tools that crypto projects use to reach a younger, social media savvy audience. Crypto projects use TikTok to create engaging content and run contests and giveaways that quickly reach worldwide audiences. According to Guerdonan, however you pronounce his name, a TikTok ban in the United States could affect user acquisition efforts of crypto projects trying to reach a younger demographic in the country. Quote, TikTok's algorithm has been praised for its ability to quickly make content go viral, which has been a major factor in the success of many crypto projects, he added. Mark Ocampo, the CEO of Web3 social platform Follow, told Cointelegraph that TikTok does a great job at visualizing crypto projects to their target audiences. Ocampo, who has previously worked as a chief marketing officer in crypto projects, noted that TikTok allows companies to capture the attention of millennial and Generation Z age groups. Oh my God. See, you know what this is. This entire article is that these people are scared that, that they're losing their main marketing tool to rip people off. They're worried they won't be able to steal, to have a, a, an outlet so that you can give them your money. You know, like a pump and dump scheme. That's all this is. Yeah, the Restrict Act is probably going to screw a whole bunch of shit over. But if all you're worried about is the demise of TikTok, be, meaning that it's the demise of your marketing platform, then you were too centralized. And if you really feel the need to be the scumbag POS that you are and go degenerate steal money from people by telling them that Dogecoin is the next Bitcoin, well, then you're too stupid for air anyway, but you probably needed to spread your marketing out over a few different platforms, huh? You know, it just, I, I stopped reading the article. I can't do it because all it is is these people being worried that they can't steal your money anymore. And that's not at all what you should be worried about with the Restrict Act. The only saving grace here is like, like for instance, uh, Solana, probably not built in the United States. I don't know much about it because it's a shit coin. But in either event, let's say that it's created in uh, Dubai. That all this, the, whoever created it and all the group of people that, that oversee it, they're all over in Dubai. If the Restrict Act passes, you can kiss your access to Solana goodbye. But what happens with Bitcoin? Because nodes are in, er in almost every country on the planet, including the United States. How does that shit work? In my opinion, the Restrict Act wouldn't be able to put its tentacles on Bitcoin because it's that decentralized. At that point, they would need a number, like certain percentage being in a foreign country that we deem whatever. But even then, good luck. Solana, yeah, you're going to be able to get that shit destroyed real quick. Or Ethereum, or whatever. I don't really care. Whatever. Most of this shit's going to go away. Bitcoin, I, I still don't see the Restrict Act as being something that could legally be applied as it's written to Bitcoin due to the decentralization. That's all I'm going to say about that. And that is the conclusion of the morning roundup. Dad says jokes with quite possibly the worst joke that I've ever heard in my life. I was going to skip it, but it's just so bad. 
I have to bring it to you because it's completely nerdy. I was walking down the street where the houses were numbered 64K, 128K, 256K, 512K, and 1MB. And it was a trip down memory lane. Oh, it just, it makes my head hurt. <clears throat> okay, ladies and gentlemen, the weekend is upon us. Go out and have a good one. Go create good things and get off of Twitter and Facebook and all that shit. If you need social media and you want to go someplace that isn't built to feed the rage machine and you come away from any of these legacy platforms feeling like either crap or pissed off, Go get yourself a pub key private or a private key pub key pair on any like on most of the Nostra clients. Go to you know nostragram.co, uh, snort.social will generate you one. You can get Albi Wallet if you've got the browser extension in your in your web browser. It'll generate you one, and get on Nostra. Start making friends. If you need introductions. Look in the show notes down below all the articles that I post and all the general information and you'll see NPUB number, like NPUB one is the first one up. And then the second uh, set of numbers is the hex version. Depending on what client you use, you either put in the NPUB number or the hex number and you'll be able to see what I see and you'll be able to like, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll get to me and you can follow me. And you can send me a direct message or you can just tag me and say, hey, at none your business, uh, you know, introduce me to some some plebs. I'll do that. I will absolutely do that. If I can save just one person this weekend from the, the rage machine that is actually getting worse and worse and worse and not better, that is legacy social media, I will be happy to spend my time doing that. See you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.